Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I'm Natasha Daniels, and today we're going to be talking about how to parent and discipline anxious kids. Dun, 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 dun. I do that because they are super hard to discipline. And you're probably nodding with me if you have an anxious kid because you're like, yes, they are. She knows it. Why are they so hard to parent? Well, let's talk about it. They're hard to discipline because they are super sensitive and they think your tone is all wrong, even when you're not even having a tone. And forget about screaming. If you're screaming or if you're raising your voice, it's like death, <laughs> right? Because everything is magnified to them. So all of your reactions are magnified. All of your consequences are magnified. Everything is life or death and everything is very intense. So that makes disciplining an anxious kid ridiculously hard. I know because I have three of them. And I think the hard part too, is even if you have an anxious kid, each child is different and each child reacts in a different sort of way. When I have parents come into my practice and they're looking for parenting ideas and they have an anxious kid, they'll say to me often, you know, everything that we did with our other kids just isn't working for this one. And we don't know why. Or let's say I have a a parent who doesn't have any other kids. They'll say things like, you know, I read these books, these parenting books, but it just doesn't work on my kid. And I explained to them, well, first of all, I don't really believe in cookie cutter approaches for parenting anyway. And so I say, throw out all of your parenting books because you have to do what's right for your kid. And you know, your kid, the best, you know, not some author far, far away who has this cookie cutter parenting approach. It's great to get ideas. And so, you know, I read parenting books just to to get ideas and they're interesting and some of them are appalling (laughs) to me, but you know, your kids and you know what works for them. So go around and discover different approaches and different, um, ideas, and then try them and see what sticks because they're going to be different for different people, but especially your anxious people, because there's a whole slew of considerations that you have to take in to parent them and discipline them. And part of it is their sensitivity. So that's why it's so hard to discipline anxious kids. Now, the common mistake that a lot of parents make that I work with is they just don't discipline their anxious kids at all. They are very worried about rocking the boat. They are really worried about pushing their kids over the edge because these are kids that can be easily pushed. And so they don't set limits or expectations. And that's actually the worst thing you can do because anxious kids need structure. They need boundaries. They need to know where the limits are. And even if that's upsetting for them long-term, it's actually more reassuring because they know where the wall is. They know what the expectations are. And anxious kids are plotters and planners. They need to know where everything is, how everything's going to operate, what the expectations are, what your reaction will be, and what the consequences will be. So if you tighten up your parenting and you're very succinct at these are the expectations, and if they are broken, 
this is what will happen that will really help your anxious kids. So all that is just blah, blah, blah. If you don't know exactly what that means, you know, in concrete terms, like, what does that mean? Natasha, you're going on about this and it's been four minutes into the podcast and I don't even know what you're talking about, right? (laughs) Okay. I talk about myself in third person. So that's totally disturbing, but let's talk about some approaches. So for starters, just in general, you want to watch your tone. And I know that that is easier said than done. Trust me. I completely know that, but overall you're going to be much more effective if you can work on your poker face and get that robotic tone going. I really didn't have to work on that until I had my second kid and he implodes if I am angry. And my third kid, she is like 10 times worse than my second kid because she thinks I hate her when I tell her to pick up her clothes. Seriously, she's five. I can't say anything to her or redirect her without her thinking I hate her. I'll be like, hey, can you go pick up your clothes? You left them on the floor. Go put them in the hamper. And I will seriously, I'm not even joking. This is a reaction I will get sometimes. You hate me. Why do you hate me? And I'll be like, Uh, I just told you to pick up your clothes. Why are you shouting at me? I am not raising my voice. This is what I sound like all the time. You're shouting at me. You're so mean. Yeah, this is what goes on at my house. But I don't play into that. And so you want to not play into their sensitivities. Don't feel bad and beat yourself up because sensitive kids legitimately hear us screaming when we're not. And so it's not worth getting into an argument with them about whether you're screaming or not, or whether your tone is harsh or not. You know, for yourself, you want to keep it level and you want to keep it calm. But then if your child is perceiving it in a different way, don't get into it with them. Just keep your calm and then don't get deflected and go down that road and talk to them about your tone when you're forgetting about what you're actually talking about with them. So pull it back in and stay the course and talk to them about whatever it is you were discussing. And don't go down that slippery slope of you're being rude. It's my tone because sometimes I think kids can do that to divert our focus, maybe consciously, maybe subconsciously, but it's not, it waters down our parenting. So you can have a conversation about your tone when you're not in the middle of disciplining. You know, if you want to talk about it at a calm time and say, Hey, you know, I just want you to know that This is what I sound like when I'm screaming. (laughs) That's what I did one time with my kids. I'm like, okay, this is my, this is my normal voice. This is me with the tone. Pick up your clothes. That's my tone. That's my mommy is very angry tone. And then I won't do it because my mic is going to go crazy. But, and then I scream and I'm like, that's what screaming is. But I, I did that when we weren't having an argument we weren't having like a discipline moment we were just talking. And so you can do that for your kids. And sometimes you can play weird games. Like if you have a super sensitive kid, you can play games where you can say like, guess my tone. And you can do like an angry tone. You can do a happy tone and you can have them just kind of name what tone is attached to the mood. I know that sounds totally weird, but it can help those sensitive kids because Not only do they think that you have a tone with them, but they think like their teachers do and other people outside of the house. So you can help with that. But that is not what this podcast episode is about. I always go off track. So back to what we are talking about. 
You want to set firm boundaries. You don't want to not parent because your child's anxious. So the most effective approach that I really like is a three strikes you're out. Super simplistic. I teach every family that comes into my practice. This is like my go-to approach, but it doesn't work for everyone. And so I'm saying that because if your kid is super, super sensitive, this approach may not work for them. So I'll talk about it really quickly. Well, probably not too quickly. I'll talk about it. Can't guarantee how fast it will be. And then we'll talk about how some kids don't um, respond well to this. And then we'll talk about some other different effective approaches that you can take with anxious kids. So three strikes you're out is a super simple approach that I use often in my practice and I live and die by it at home. And it's, it's not rocket science. Nothing ever is. If my child is doing something that is not okay, they get a strike. And then if they are doing something that's not okay, they get a second strike and three strikes. They're out. Very, very simplistic. I'm really not a big fan of, you know, sticker charts and jars with things inside of them. And I think the more complicated you get, the less likely you are to stick with it. So I feel like the, the most simplistic discipline approaches work the best. So let me just go into a little bit how the three strikes works. And what I like about this is when you have an anxious kid, a lot of times they need a lot of warnings and they need to see the consequence coming. And so if your child, let's say hits another child in your house, and then all of a sudden they're grounded for a day, they can't handle that because it happened so suddenly they didn't have time to process that. Or let's say they make a bad choice and they can't go out somewhere that you were going to take them because they're not listening. They, they can't handle the disappointment. And so I do like the three strikes for anxious kids in that it's like a slow train wreck. (laughs) They see it coming. And so it's, it's behaviorally shaping because you are giving them technically six warnings because I give a warning before every strike. Don't give any more warnings than that. So if my children, let's just use a really weird random example. Like if my kids are on the couch and they're ignoring me and I say, Hey, go brush your teeth and nobody's moving. Then I will probably say something like, Hey, if you don't get up and brush your teeth, that's going to be a strike. So that's my warning. And then let's just pretend they ignore me. Then I'll be like, okay, strike one. You don't want another strike. So you need to get up and get moving so they can see it coming. And there's no consequence except for the fact that they got a strike. So the strike in and of itself is a small little consequence. And for some anxious kids that works really well. Now for other anxious kids, it doesn't work because they can't handle getting any negative feedback. And so they get a strike and they want you to take it back. They, they don't really care that they haven't struck out. They just can't handle the fact that they got any negative mark against them. So if that's your kid, the three strikes you're out may not work, but in general, it works really well. I have three anxious kids and it works beautifully on all of them because I normally cheerlead and I'll say things like, look, you were doing so good. You only have one strike. Let's not ruin it. So let's reset, you know, quickly go brush your teeth just to keep using that as an example and let's get back on track. So I am very optimistic and not punitive when I give the strikes to help move them through and move them on. So that might work for your children. 
I do have one child who will go unmentioned, who will follow me around and want me to take that strike back. So that's one out of the three who kind of responds in a really anxious way where she'll follow me around and be like, I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve that. Take that strike back. And I'm like, it's just one strike. So you need to move on. And often with her, I'll have to say, if you continue to bother me, you're going to get strike two. And then normally that's enough to have her leave me alone. (laughs) But it's so effective otherwise that I continue to do it because it does really work in my family. So briefly, the way that you would work strikes is if they strike out, something would happen at the end of the day. And this is different for every family. So I really don't want to get into the specifics because what's good for you may not be good for me. And what's good for me may not be good for you. So some families I work with will give a consequence at the end of the night if their children strike out. Some parents will give their kids a a reward or a privilege if they don't strike out. And some families do both. And if your children strike out early at my house, if we're having a really bad day, going to be honest, we will do second set. So sometimes I'm like, we're on the second set. So the first set, depending on where we are in life, sometimes my kids are having just, they're hitting a developmental bump and their behavior is not good. And so we're doing strikes pretty hot and heavy at my house and it's, you know, it's happening a lot. And other times they're really well behaved and we're not doing strikes for weeks and months on end. It's really not even a thing. We're kind of in that zone right now. So knock on wood, where's the wood? But if your child's really behaviorally challenged, you might have to do second set. And sometimes when my kids are challenged in the bedroom where they keep coming out and they keep coming out, I'll do night, night strikes. And I'll be like, okay, night, night strikes. We're going to do night, night strikes, three strikes, you're out. And then we're not going to go to the zoo tomorrow. So if anyone comes out of the room, they're getting a strike. That's how I do it. But if your child is having some pretty intense behavior, I like the Oreo approach. If you're really working on behavior. So the Oreo approach, if they don't strike out, they earn something. So there's a buy-in, there's something kind of fun to the strikes. And so they're, they're excited about this new concept. And if they do strike out, then there's a consequence. I like that because I think it speaks to both ends of the spectrum of disciplining. So when I was like in the throes of really poor behavior at my house, we would have a treasure box and, you know, my kids would get something from the treasure box in the morning if they hadn't struck out the night before. And if they did strike out, they would go to bed early. And then if it was a second set, we'd get into something a little bit more punitive. And that's what we would do at my house. And then we, we moved into more natural situations. And so if my kids didn't strike out, they would get a colored bath because we got these Crayola like color tabs. And so they would get a colored bath. They would get two books instead of one. They would get bubble bath and they would get to go to bed at a certain hour. And if they struck out, they wouldn't get the bubble bath. They would only get one book and they'd have to go to bed early. So you can design it in a naturalistic sort of way that there's natural consequences and natural privileges that are tied to the strikes. And then you can get really concrete if you want to move away from the natural and you can do treasure box or you could just do consequences. I don't even care. It doesn't even matter. The key is that you're consistent and the key is that you don't take strikes back. Kids don't get to earn strikes back. You don't negotiate it. And even though it might seem like a really good plan to have kids earn their way out of striking out, 
it's not a good thing because you really want to be very simplistic and black and white in your parenting. So there is no wiggle room because kids will tell me, oh, it doesn't matter. I can earn it back. Or, you know, she always says that she's going to take it away, but she never does. So you don't want that slippery slope. You want to be very, very concrete with your discipline that if you say it's a strike, it's a strike. You don't ever take that back. It can't be earned away. It is what it is. But then you cheerlead and you say, you know what? You've been doing so good. You can pull it together. Now, the other thing I really like about the strikes is that you can do it in public. You can do it from a distance. So I'll tell you a funny story. So the other day, I'm going to talk about swim class again. And I don't know why I always talk about swim class. We do other things. I promise we do other things in my life besides go to swim class. But it just seems like there's always a story about swim class. So my son is seven. And I told you he's right now the more behaviorally challenged child in my house. And he was getting really rowdy in the swim class. And I was not liking his behavior. But we were separated because I'm watching him through a huge thing of plexiglass. I don't know. It's not plexiglass, probably regular glass, but whatever. So he's in the pool and I am behind glass watching him and I'm not liking his behavior. And he's looking at me. He knows that I am pretty much powerless because I am stuck in this chair watching him. He can't hear me. I can't hear him. And he knows I can't do anything. So I tell him like with my hands, I gesture like stop because he was He was like spitting on his sister. And I think he was like, he was splashing this other kid, but I could tell that it was going to go bad. It wasn't like going to be funny pretty soon. So I didn't want him to continue doing it. And they're not supposed to be doing that anyway. So he could tell, like I had my serious frown look on my face, but he was ignoring me because he was like, whatever, what is she going to do? So I mouth strike. And then I said one and I put up my finger And he looked at me and he was like, strike. He mouthed back. And I was like, strike. I mouthed back. (laughs) And I, I had my number one finger up. I don't know if that makes any sense. My number one finger, I had my finger up and he continued to rough house. And then I put my second finger up and I said two and he, his eyes got really big and he just sat there and he stopped his behavior. And so all this discipline is happening without us talking and with me being feet away behind glass. So I love that because what other discipline approach can you do that and have this, you know, interaction going on when you're that far away and your child can't even hear you. So there's a lot of good things about the strikes and they're very simple. If that doesn't work for your child or in conjunction with the three strikes, I want to talk about three other just approaches that you can take with anxious kids that tend to work really well. We're going to get into that right after this. You're listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e-courses on a variety of topics. Each parenting e-course includes a series of teaching videos that can be watched at your own pace. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. Okay, so I want to talk to you about three other little approaches that you can take with kids that tend to work really well with anxious kids. The first one is going to sound really weird, but anxious kids tend to want to please. They more often than not are pleasers, people pleasers, and you can use that to your advantage at home. So you don't always have to redirect them or give them a strike. 
you know, you can save that for the really big behavior, but they'll respond more often than not to more subtle approaches. And one of them that I like is praising your kids when they aren't listening. You're like, what, what is she talking about? It does work. If you praise your kids when they're not doing what you want them to do, anxious kids will tend to start to do it. Let me give you an example. Let's say my kid has been having a hard time, you know, taking their plate to the sink after dinner. Then if I know that's a problem, I might like, let's say I'm getting up and I'm noticing, okay, there's their plate and they're not taking it to the sink because I'm trying to train my children to clear their plate and do like responsible things around the house. So I might say to my son, I might say, oh, and I love the way that you have gotten very responsible and how you clean your plate before, you know, I even have to tell you. Now he will turn around because maybe he's only like a foot away from his plate and he will then bring his plate to the sink. So instead of me saying, Hey, you forgot your plate, go back over there and get your plate and always being negative. I try to catch them in moments where I can be positive because that definitely helps with anxious kids. Or let's say they're not getting dressed. And I know this is a constant problem, like to get their clothes on, to get ready for school or camp. I'll say to my son, I love the way you get dressed. You get dressed so quickly so we can hurry up and get to school. You know, you're really good because you show your sister that it's important to get dressed and that way you can relax and have a few minutes of downtime before we have to go. And then that works for my kids because they are 10 times more likely to do whatever I'm highlighting and praising than if I didn't. And if I'm negative, especially with the five-year-old, if I'm negative with her, she spirals down so quickly and tends to take longer or not do it or that we're having an argument. But if I praise her, she is more likely to do it consistently and to do it all the time. Like not only does she do it in that moment, but she remembers that I complimented her and then she tends to always be that way. You know, I told her a while back that she was super funny because she really is hysterical. And now she like, she hams it up even more especially to the things that I've already said were funny. She does them more and more because, because she knows that I think they're funny. And so I've highlighted that for her. So find what you can highlight with your kids and praise them for it before they don't do it. And they're much more likely to do it. I know that sounds totally bizarre, but it's true. It does work. The other thing I wanted to talk about is start to compliment your kids in general about personality attributes that they show maybe some of the time. So with my son, we'll just keep using him as an example. He had some struggles with honesty. And when he was a little bit younger, you know, he was one of those kids where, you know, he'd look you right in the face and be like, I didn't hit her. And you're like, I just saw you hit her. So we worked on his honesty. And I think I'll do another podcast just purely on how to handle lying because I have this whole weird, wacky approach for handling lying. And I don't think I've made a podcast episode. I think I made a YouTube video on it, but you can check that out. But I don't think I've ever made a podcast on it. You'd think I would know. I've only made like 21 podcast episodes. So I don't think I did one online, but I think I will. So we were working on that with him. I, I do this whole thing that is like a trustometer. And I always tell my kids where their trustometer is. I kind of do it with my, with my hand whether it's high or low. And so he's been doing really well with that lately because I've been constantly working on it saying, 
if you lie to me, then when you do something at school and your teacher says you did something and you say you did a different thing, I'm not going to believe you and I'm not going to go to bat for you because your trust with me is really bad. And we'll get into that on maybe a different episode. And so we've been working really hard on that. And so lately, if there's a behavioral thing going on, I'll look at him and I'll say, you have, you are such an honest person. And I will highlight that all the time. I can trust you. I can't remember what we did the other day. We're doing something that required a lot of trust. I have to think about what that was. I have no memory. Okay. I can't remember it, but whatever. But I had said to him, you know what? I believe you. And he's like, you do. And I'm like, I do because you've been working really, really hard on your trust. And so when I highlight that for my kids, they tend to emulate whatever attribute I am highlighting. And it's good. It's good self-esteem building in general, but it's also really a good discipline approach because your kids will rise to the level of behavior that you're complimenting them on. So you can try that approach too. That really helps. And it helps with discipline, but it also actually helps just with self-esteem. The last approach I want to quickly talk about is more of a silly parenting approach. And so parenting and discipline don't always have to be so boot campish and they don't always have to be so horrible and um, conflictual. They can be fun, silly, and wacky. I'm totally a big fan of silly, wacky parenting approaches because you want to pick your battles and you don't have to get into it all the time. I really am a big proponent of consequences and structure. And I don't feel like we should let our kids, you know, slide and get away with a lot of different things because then we're, we're not preparing them for real life. And I feel like it's our job to prepare them for school and other environments. And if we don't set limits and we don't set boundaries, then we're setting them up for failure when they go into other environments that are going to require that. So I'm a huge fan of a lot of discipline, but I don't think the discipline has to be in a boring, mean sort of way. It could be in a wacky way. So it was a big introduction to this one little approach, but another approach that I like is rewinding kids. So you can take your remote control, your pretend remote control, and you can say, Ooh, no, no, no. I don't like the way you just did that. Let's try that again. And then you press the button and you rewind kids. And so you show them like, you kind of like, I'll, I'll rewind my kids. I haven't actually used this approach lately and I should, because I'm telling you about it. And it's a really fun way to parent. And yet I don't use it. So I'm going to start using it as of today. But you can walk backwards and, you know, pretend like you're rewinding the tape and then, and then have them redo the situation. Now, some kids are not going to be amicable with that. They're going to be like, whatever, they're going to be in a bad mood and they're not going to want to be rewound, but other kids might find that really fun. And then maybe instead of, you know, hitting their sister or grabbing it, then they might ask for it nicely, or you might have to coach them, but it's kind of a fun way to have them redo things. And really, ultimately, when you're disciplining your kids, you are teaching. And this is what I tell parents, and this is what I tell kids. Like, okay, so with my five-year-old who thinks I'm ruining her life every time I tell her to do something, I've had this conversation with her, and I say, look, it's my job to parent you. And I'm like your life teacher. You go to school, and you have a teacher who teaches you your ABCs and your math, and when you're home... 
I'm your life teacher and I teach you about life. I teach you about life's rules. I teach you about good listening and you're little and you're not going to know all the rules and you're not supposed to, and you're going to break a lot of them. And that's not your fault. You're learning. And it's my job to teach you. And so I have to teach you that when you make a bad choice, there's a consequence because that's a life lesson. And I have to teach you these life lessons. So as you get older, when you go to school or when you grow up and you're an adult, you understand making good choices and you understand how to behave. And if I didn't do that, that wouldn't be fair to you because then I wouldn't be teaching. And that's like my biggest job in life is to be your teacher. So I have to give you these life lessons. Now you would be like, wow, that's beautiful, Natasha. (laughs) How did she respond to that? Ah, not good. She's like, I don't want your life lessons. And every time I, you know, have to redirect her or consequence her, which actually isn't that often. She's like, not another life lesson. (laughs) So yeah, it doesn't make them any happier, but it is a really good way to explain disciplining in general that you're not doing it to crush their soul. You're not doing it to be this harsh mama, but you're doing it because you love them and it's your job. And I think if you parentally look at parenting that way, it does make a huge difference emotionally because too many parents, and I'm going to go on a tangent. So just bear with me because I'm, I'm wrapping this podcast up, but I want to, I want to briefly talk about this. I think way too many parents take parenting personally. And so when their children misbehave, you know, they're sensitive parents, just like they're sensitive kids. And when they're, when their kids make a bad choice or they misbehave, they see it as an attack on them or their parenting. And that's a really, really bad way to look at parenting because think about it. These kids are new on the job. They're young. They're just coming out into the world. They, they don't know what happens when they push the limits. They don't know when they break a rule or make a poor choice, or maybe they do know, but their frontal lobe is not even fully developed. So give them the benefit of the doubt. They're not totally functioning with a well-developed frontal lobe yet. So it's not about you. And even if you think it's about you because they're saying harsh things or they're trying to trigger you or upset you, it's still not about you because they're just learning limitations. And so your job is to teach them. And I think when I switch gears mentally and I think, okay, my job is teaching and sometimes maybe I'm tired and I've, you know, I've told them no, but then in my head, I'm thinking, gosh, why did I say no to that? That was so stupid. Why don't I just say yes? Because like, it really doesn't even make that big of a difference. In my head, I'll be like, no, Natasha, you have to be consistent because you are teaching them. You are teaching them consistency and you're teaching them that no means no. And so I will see it as a teaching moment and then I'll I'll be kind of rejuvenated and I will be able to parent a little bit better because I'm seeing this as a teaching moment, them accepting no or whatever it is. Like, let's say they make a really bad choice. That's a great learning opportunity. And sometimes if I'm in a good mood, which this is not an everyday kind of thing, but sometimes when my kids make bad choices, I'm like gung ho because I'm like, this is going to be a great learning lesson. This is a great life lesson. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about why that was a, not a good choice. Let's talk about what the choices could have been. Let's rewind it. Although I haven't done that in a long time. You know, let's talk about what, how you could have dealt with that. So we can't all have that much happiness and energy towards 
disciplining all of the time, but it is a better way to look at it than to take it personally or to be like, Oh my gosh, how could she do that? You know, she needed to not do that. They're kids. They're going to make mistakes and it's our job to teach them. We just have to teach them where we don't crush their sensitive little souls. And that is what this episode was all about. So hopefully you got some ideas from it. I hope you are having a wonderful week. If you're liking this podcast, as always, I won't grovel this week. I'll like save that. I'll do it like once a month. But if you can, I would totally appreciate a review on iTunes if it's possible. If you haven't already, check out my website at anxioustoddlers.com. It's the website for all ages. I just named it that and I hate that, but whatever. If you're not in my private Facebook group, what are you waiting for? That's an amazing group and you can join us. It is AT Parenting Anxious Kids and I will leave a link in the show notes or you can find it on my website at the very bottom. There's a link. And until next time, I hope you find the sparkle in every day and I'll talk to you next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com. 